Welcome to Searchlight, a survey through Scripture with Pastor John Corson. It is our desire to bring you a systematic study of the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book. Here on Searchlight, we are getting ready for adventure, an adventure in the Scriptures. This is because we are about to begin our verse-by-verse study through the book of Judges, The book of Judges is full of stories, true stories, which picture for us spiritual truths. Let's get right into our adventure and join Pastor John for the introduction to this exciting book. The book of Judges. Now, when we talk of the Judges, do not picture men in black robes sitting behind a bench with a gavel in their hands. The idea of the judges here in the Old Testament is not judicial, but rather the judges are people who do exploits heroically for the Lord, on behalf of the Lord. They are heroes, if you would. And so don't picture them as having black robes, but rather perhaps red capes with an S on their chest. They're heroes, superheroes. They're deliverers. And that's what the word judge in the Hebrew indeed can mean, is one who delivers. And there are people in this book, it's one of the most exciting and interesting books in the Bible, at least as far as I'm concerned. And you'll see that in this book, these are men and women, raised up to bring deliverance for God's people. Fascinating, fascinating stories. The stories take place over a period of approximately 400 years. They begin with the death of Joshua and go to the days of Samuel the prophet. Samuel the prophet, of course, will be the one that anoints David to be the king of Israel and appoints Saul to be the king even before David as the first king of the nation. So it covers a chunk of time historically from the death of Joshua to the rise of the prophet Samuel. Samuel, he's the one that brings in the monarchy, that is the king's that will ruin, ruin, yeah, that too, rule and ruin, sad to say, but rule over the nation of Israel. So this is that period of time in which these men and women raised up to do exploits for the Lord. Now, there is a contrast between the book of Joshua and the book of Judges. In the book of Joshua, the emphasis really is faith. 
their entrance into the promised land was by faith. They simply believed. The previous generation that wasn't allowed to go in couldn't do so because the Bible says of unbelief. But the generation that Joshua led into the promised land, they didn't deserve it or earn it, but simply by faith accepted it and believed it that God would do what he said. Clear back in Genesis chapter 15, God declared that he would give the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the promised land. And they were simply to believe. And so in faith, Joshua led that generation that did go in to that land as they put their feet in the Jordan River. The waters parted miraculously. You remember the story. They entered into the land by faith. So the book that we just got through, Joshua, that we just went through, Joshua, is a book that stresses the importance of faith. Whether it's entering into the land of salvation or the land of spirit-filled living, it's all about faith. Just believing that the Lord is going to do what he said he would do for me and for you. It's so simple. You enter in by faith. Now, contrast that, though, with the book of Judges. Because, you see, the book of Joshua talks about the entrance into the land by faith. Just believe. But the book of Judges, in contrast, stresses our enjoyment of the land by faithfulness. Our enjoyment of the land. We enter in the land, book of Joshua, by faith. But we have enjoyment of the land by being faithful and being obedient. See, you're saved, I'm saved. We're brought into the land, into the kingdom, just by believing in the Lord. We're given the gift of the Holy Ghost just by receiving what he promised by faith. And yet, we're not going to enjoy this wonderful privilege that's been given to us to be a part of his family, to be in his kingdom presently, if we are faithless, that is, not being faithful or being disobedient. You're saved, I'm saved, wonderful. But you'll be bummed and blue. You'll be bitter, too. We'll be down. We'll be sad. We'll be bummed out constantly if we are not living obediently, has nothing to do with our salvation or the reception of the Holy Spirit, but it has everything to do with our enjoying the place that God, by his grace, has brought you and me to. It's about obedience. It's about being faithful to do the things that he's told me and you to do in the book of Judges. Sad to say, they go through seven cycles of unfaithfulness. Over 400 years, these people go through this cycle of, of being unfaithful. And if you have a pencil and paper out, you might want to jot this cycle down because you're going to see it happen if you are watching for it and are aware of it. You'll see it happen seven different times throughout the book. 
Number one, this cycle starts by serving the Lord. They start out, number one, serving the Lord. Number two, they succumb to sin. They start out serving the Lord, and then they succumb to sin. And then they are, number three, enslaved by sin. Serving the Lord, number one, succumbing to sin, number two, and then they're enslaved by sin. That is, their enemies, the oppressors, the other nations, have them enslaved, you see. Then number four, they're sorry about sin. So serving the Lord, succumbing to sin, enslaved by sin, sorry about sin, they are sad about the condition they're in. They're miserable. Things are falling apart. Things are awful, terrible, and brutal. And they are sorry. And then they are, number five, saved from sin. So serving the Lord, succumbing to sin, then enslaved by sin, then sorry about their sin, then saved from their sin, only to begin the cycle again. (laughs) <laughs> it's amazing to me. This book, it's, it's just an incredible picture of the human condition. We too, you know, hey, I'm serving the Lord. And then we succumb to a sin. Then we're enslaved by it. And then we're sorry about it. Then we're saved from it. Only to find ourselves all too frequently repeating the cycle again. Doesn't have to be that way. And the book of Judges helps you and me to see the stupidity of going astray. You're in the land, it's true. You're part of the family, okay. You might even be spirit-filled. That's wonderful. But there's a warning in this book about what will happen to you, to me, to us, and our families if we say, it doesn't matter if I'm obedient to what the Lord tells me to do. Hey, grace will cover it. Doesn't matter. God knows my heart, true, God does know your heart, and he lets you know the repercussions that will come your way, my way, our way, if we are disobedient day after day after day. So this book deals with that. It's a warning. By the way, parents, this is a great book to use for family devotions. If you're a dad or a mom here who leads your family in devotions, I would encourage you highly to travel with us through this book because you can pick out these stories and man your kids Hey, you'll get their attention with daggers going through bellies and toes being chopped off and spikes being thrust through men's heads and all the rest. I mean, this is action-packed stuff with a story that will really drive the point home, especially the one with the spike going through his head. But it's a great book to use to teach our kids, and kids ought to be taught from the youngest of years. God loves you. The blood that Jesus shed for you cleanses you from all sin, past sin and future sin. But son or sweetie, here's what you need to know. There's going to be repercussions like that dad that was telling his young four-year-old son about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. How the Lord told Lot what was going to happen. And the Lord sent messengers And let Lot know that he was to take his wife and flee from the city. But his wife turned back and she was turned into a pillar of salt. And the four-year-old boy said, 
Oh, well, what happened to the flea? <laughs> to take your wife and flee from the city? And he said, what happened to the flea? Okay, I won't use that one again. <laughs> See, to take your wife and flee. And he thought the flea, little flea, you know. But be that as it may, <laughs> here's the thing. That dad was right in talking to his four-year-old boy about, about the stuff that will happen to you, to me, to us, if we disobey. We're loved by the Lord. His grace is inexhaustible. His mercy is always there. But the repercussions will come our way. And that's one of the central messages of this book. We see this seven-time cycle of, of God's children going through this serving the Lord, then succumbing to sin, then being enslaved therein, then being sorry about their condition, then being set free, serving the Lord again, only to get sucked back in. It's a real important lesson for all of God's children indeed. Well, we begin by being brought up to speed concerning the time historically after the death, verse 1 of chapter 1, of Joshua. It came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. The tabernacle at this time was pitched at Gilgal, the place you might recall in the story of Joshua where the men were circumcised. The putting off of the flesh, the getting ready to take on the enemies that were there in the land. Well, there was where the tabernacle was pitched, in the place of getting rid of the flesh, in the place of purity and sanctification. And now Joshua is dead. They seek the Lord about what to do now against, about fighting, pardon me, against the Canaanites. You might say, hey, I thought the Canaanites were defeated. They were. Joshua in his regime, under his rule. Hey, they conquered the land completely, but there were still pockets of Canaanites that were holding up and hiding out. They needed to be taken on, rooted out. God left part of the responsibility up to this generation, the one after Joshua, to go through the mop-up operations. The war was already won. But there was still work to be done, just like for you and me. Our salvation is secure. Jesus won the war when he hung on that tree and cried victoriously, it's finished. But there's still work to do, mop-up operations. And so these guys would say, where do we begin? What should we do? And the Lord says, start with Judah. Judah shall go up and begin this mop-up operation. Why Judah? Well, the name Judah, of course, means praise. And praise always paves the way to victory. I see in this personally an indication that we see throughout the Old Testament where Judah is leading the way because praise always ought to have priority and precedence. You might recall on the day of Pentecost, before Peter stood up and preached, and 3,000 were saved that day, as recorded in Acts chapter 2. We see first the disciples in the upper room. 
praising the Lord, enjoying him, worshiping, expressing their love and affection in unknown tongues, unknown to them. And that was a praise gathering, a praise meeting. And what it did was it created an atmosphere and a curiosity in those who were down below on the street who heard this praise ascending and who came from other nations and recognized those languages from their own native countries. What's going on? They were curious. They must be drunk up there. What is this? And Peter said, no, these guys aren't drunk as you suppose. And then Peter began to preach about what was taking place. The Holy Spirit was coming upon them. The Spirit of Jesus was manifested through them. Christ had died for them. And 3,000 responded. But praise led the way. I tell you this because I need to be reminded of this a lot. Praise needs to have precedence and priority. Praise paves the way to victory. When you're feeling blue, when you don't know what to do, when the enemy is all around you, send Judah out. That is praise. Let praise lead the way. Lift up your hands. Bow down your knee. Express your heart energetically and watch and see how the enemy is beaten back, how the blues are chased away. Judah was to lead out that day. Now Judah, verse 3, said to Simeon, his brother, Hey, come up with me into my lot, my territory, that we may fight against the Canaanites together. And I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. So Simeon, the tribe of Simeon, went with the tribe of Judah. They were blood brothers from the same mother, Simeon and Judah. But also, as I mentioned Sunday, the tribe Simeon was small and was actually surrounded by, geographically, the more numerous, larger tribe of Judah, you see. So it made sense, both relationally and geographically, that Judah, the tribe, would say to Simeon, Simeon, within the, or surrounded by the tribe of Judah, and, and blood brothers, same mother, you see, same dad, same mother. It's logical that Judah would say to Simeon, hey, come and help us, and then we'll help you. But was it right? Some commentators believe this shows cooperation, and that may be. But I suggest to you it's not so much an illustration of cooperation, but of cowardice. Because God didn't say Judah and Simeon. The Lord said Judah is to go and lead the way. Judah is to be engaged in the battle this day. Sometimes, though, the Lord puts something on your heart, my heart. What do we do? We get on the telephone and say, will you help me? See? I need some help on this. And oftentimes, it's the Lord saying, I called you to do this. I called you to take that on. I called you to trust in me. I called you to step out in faith, you see. But so often, fear creeps in, or we are down on ourselves, or we doubt if God can really use me or use us that way. So we want somebody else to tag along or to set the pace or whatever it might be. And really, that is more likely what's happening here. God said, Judah, you go. Judah says, Simeon, you come with me. And Simeon agreed. So remember, folks, the old adage is true. 
You and God are a what? Majority. I know that's cliche-y, but it's true. You and God are a majority. You don't need anyone else to do what God has called you to do. Now, he may tell you to include others. That's wonderful. But listen, don't hold back. Don't pull away. Don't hide out because, hey, you feel inadequate or alone. God is with you. God is with me. Go for it. God said Judah, but Judah did what you and I so often do. Well, I need somebody else to come along too. So Simeon did that, and they went up, Judah went up, and the Lord, verse 4, delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. They slew of them in Bezek 10,000 men. And they found Adonai Bezek. Adonai Bezek, as we pointed out on Sunday, his name means literally the Lord, Adonai, the Lord of lightning or the Lord of fire. This guy was hot. <laughs> so they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek. They fought against him and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled and they pursued after him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And again, we talked about that Sunday. You can get the tape. It's an interesting story. With his toes cut off, he was defeated. Believe me. He couldn't, he couldn't run away. He couldn't get very far. Hey, he was defeated totally, totally, completely, totally defeated that day. He was totaled without his thumbs, and he was totaled without his toes, couldn't hold a sword again, couldn't run off if he tried to. They cut off his thumbs and his toes. And Adonai Bezek, verse 7, his response to that was, 70 kings having their thumbs and their great toes cut off gathered their meat under my table. I did this to 70 other men over the years. I cut off their thumbs, I cut off their toes, and they had to scrounge for crumbs underneath my table. He says, I did that. So as I have done, God hath requited me. I deserve this. We talked about that in a commendable way on Sunday. This pagan heathen king understood a law of God, the law of sowing and reaping. If you cut down others, you're going to get cut down yourself. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he what? Reap. And if I am gossiping about others, or coming down on others, or being grouchy with others, if I'm doing those things to others, it's going to come back on me. Guarantee. This principle of sowing and reaping is very important. As Pastor John mentioned, he did a complete teaching on this subject. We recently aired this teaching here on Searchlight. If you missed the teaching, you can listen to it from our website. The teaching is called Avoiding Being Toe-Tailed. We will continue our verse-by-verse -verse study of Judges chapter 1 on our next program. Please join us again then. 
This teaching is also available on the Searchlight website at johncorson.com. You will also find on the website Pastor John's books and other Bible study resources. Again, the address of the website is johncorson.com. The Searchlight radio program is available as a podcast. This means that you can download the program to your mobile phone, computer, tablet, or other mobile device and listen to it at your convenience. For complete information, please check out the podcast page on the Searchlight website at johncorson.com. Searchlight is a listener-supported ministry. We appreciate your prayers and support. May the Lord richly bless you.